Isn't it good to hear voices uh, in a room? It is so good to see y'all. Just We were talking kind of in the back back there as we were helping those that are getting uh, online. If you're watching online, welcome to our service. But man, if you're here, thank you for coming. Get down on this dreary day. Um, I'm excited not only just to be here. Again, I just keep saying what an honor and a privilege it is to to be with you guys and to help serve y'all through this uh, time that you're in transition. Um, but it's even better when you can be here. I was telling Charles this morning just to see your faces. And uh, uh, as last week, I, I, I said something wrong. I saw Brandon's face go, what? <laughs> and uh, I messaged him this week, and I had to go back and listen to the sermon. And uh, and sure enough, I mispronounced the word the whole time. And I said, uh, I told him, I said, man, that happens to me all the time. But it's good to see your faces because you can always tell if somebody's tracking with you. I used to have a an elder that worked at a, that I worked with at the church I pastored, and he sat right down here on the second pew, and he was a biblical scholar by all means. I mean, he was he studied his word, and every now and then he'd be he'd be nodding along with me as I preached, but he'd stop, and I'd see him get his Bible, and he and he'd start <laughs> looking something up. And after about a year or two of that, as I'd see he'd lean over and whisper to his wife, you know, or something, and I'd just stop the service and I'd say, "Brother Dan, what did I do? What did I say?" <laughs> And uh, usually I just said something backwards. I was telling Leanne this morning, one service, I had Moses on the ark the whole morning. <laughs> it happens. But what really got me was that nobody stopped me and said, hey, Moses wasn't on the ark, brother. <laughs> but if you got your Bible this morning, we're going to be in a bunch of places. I mean, a bunch. And so we've got a lot of, of uh, scriptures on the screen I have been saying, you'll hear me say it every time, if you've got something to write with and something to write on, uh, that means you're prepared uh, to come and study God's Word. My thing is, I really want, and my passion is not just that God's people come sit and get, but that God's people come to absorb, and I want you to go out and check what you hear. And the Bible says the Bereans were more noble than the rest because they checked daily what they heard the apostles say to make sure it was in the Word. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people out there right now that are preaching a lot of things that you'll not find in this word. And even though they sound good, they're not in there. And it's your job and it's your responsibility as a follower of Christ uh, to check those things out. And then it's the leadership's job according to the text. Uh, primary function of a, of a pastor teacher, the leadership of a church, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that means that we've got to, well, I, that's a whole different thing. I've got to get back on my purpose this morning. If you got your Bible and you want to go to a place, there's two places you'll find that'll be good anchors for you this morning. That'll be 1 Corinthians and the book of John. Now, we're going to be, like I said, in a lot of places. This is one of those topical type sermons that um, uh, is going to be all over the map. But we're going to be in John quite a bit, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians for one of our anchor texts. And we're doing a kind of a series on the church. And I had somebody ask me this week, what does a series on the church have to do with Christmas? Why are you uh, doing something like that coming up to Christmas time? I thought it was a valid question. I said, well, number one, um, I ain't been here that long. And uh, number two, I said, Jesus did come, but he came for a reason. And the reason that he came was because you and I needed him. And you and I were sinners. And maybe some of us still are. And uh, what well, we all sin, but I mean, maybe some of us are not even redeemed. Maybe some of us have not found him yet. And so as we go into this season, I want to really... Put into your mind what this thing is that you're caught up in. It's not just a Kiwanis Club meeting that we happen to have here on Sundays. Uh, although that's great, but this is not that. 
and this is something different. Now, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to be bringing a message called Christmas Through the Eyes of Calvary. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Um, it is going to be probably a different look at Christmas than you've had uh, in a while, just because it's something that God gave me a little while back, and uh, I, have, I have preached it one time. You guys get to be number two. And, uh, boy, I've been praying about it, and I'm excited about it, so don't miss next Sunday uh, coming up to uh, Christmas. But today, I want to look into this thing again about what the church is, and as we begin to unpack and unfold what it is that God has for us in this thing that we're a part of. Because as I look around, I see uh, some empty places where I remembered seeing some people the last time that we were gathered together, and, and it's hard now. It's hard in this culture, in this climate that we're in. You guys have felt it. Brother Charles told me this morning how excited those of you that he had been talking to were about being able to come back. Well, that's awesome. And boy, I was, man, I love hearing you guys sing. It's just different. It's just different and it's better. But I also want to expand your mind a little bit to what exactly this, it's not just this. This thing we're caught up in is bigger. And so what happened in the text, if you go through the book of Acts, if you've been walking through this, in the Old Testament we had Israel, and you got everything up to Jesus looking forward to the Messiah. And what the Israelites knew was that a Messiah was coming. They were looking for that Messiah, that one to bring them. And in fact, they would be asking different times through history, is this the time, is this the time? And then and when Jesus came, he was the Messiah, and they rejected him. They've been, wait, they've been waiting for all this time for the Messiah to come. The Messiah comes, and they're like, nah, I don't think so. And, uh, and, you know, and it was kind of one of those things we can look back on and kind of look at the, at the Jewish people of that day and think, how could you miss him? He fulfilled all the prophecies. He was obviously the one. But I promise you, if we were in their shoes, we would be just as likely to miss him as they did. And I know that because we're in this time, and we miss him now. We have the benefit of what they had plus what we have, and we still miss him. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled that role of the Messiah, and ever since then, we get to look back on it. Now, it's, there's, yeah, if you're over maybe seven, you know what it means that hindsight is twenty twenty, right? How many of you raise your hand would change some things in your early 20s if you're above 20? Yeah? <laughs> Just one hand, really. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I talked with the guy just the other day, and, and somebody asked him that question. said, what would you change? And he said, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but I don't know that I'd change them because it made me who I am. I appreciated his thoughts. Said, there, there's a lot of truth in that. But I thought a little bit longer. I said, no, I still changed some things because I paid some, a price for some things. My kids and my family has paid a price for some decisions that I've made. Anybody can understand that. And so as we look back to Jesus, it's real easy to have these clear glasses on about what Jesus means and what the church means that they didn't have. I mean, in Hebrews, we even see as they look forward to the Messiah, they still believe they never saw him. They didn't see it, but they still had faith and were counted faithful to God. How much more are we required as we look back? So what happened was, was that Jesus came, he fulfilled this Messiah uh, prophecy, and he began to call out these disciples. Now, last week we talked about the ecclesia. I pronounced it ecclesia. That's wrong. We talked about the ecclesia, this called out bunch of disciples. And he began to call them out and they began to perform miracles. And I just want to plant a seed with you. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a called out disciple. 
You know, we have this idea in our head that the disciples were just those 12, actually 13, after they voted that other one in at the end. And, uh, and you know, and see, those are the disciples, and we're just kind of, I don't know what. We're like Texas. We're the also-rans, brother. We're like the, you know, whatever. And, and, but that's not true. We're a part of this, um, uh, this thing that God called out, this ecclesia, this assembly that God called out. And what they would do is they would travel around Jerusalem and they would minister and heal and bring hope to people. And as people began to believe in Jesus, all of a sudden their numbers began to grow. Now, in our modern culture, we think that that is the absolute apex of what a church looks like when it's healthy and that God's moving. We think, oh, God's moving because the church is, is growing in number. That might be true. It might be that the guys, they've got a nice preacher that likes to tell them things they love to hear. It might be that they've got a big new building. Or I, I know a guy, I'll not even call his name. Y'all might know him. But uh, he, uh, I forget I'm still in East Texas. But uh, I remember when he was looking for a church for his family, he would not visit a church that didn't have a gym. Because he wanted to have that social aspect. And, 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 and I tried as best as I could to get my logical brain around that. But that... If, if that's the kind of thing we're looking for, we're not looking for the church. They're not looking for the thing that Jesus started. We're not looking for the thing that he died for. Not that they're bad things. Because, quite frankly, back before my knees blew out, I loved to play basketball. I love to do all of those things. But that's not what Jesus died for. And so just because we have all of the things that bring people in doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is there too. But in this day and time, when Jesus started doing his thing, they started coming in. And after he was crucified, buried, and rose, he came to them. He stayed with them for a few days. And then the Bible says he was taken up into heaven. And he promised that one would come after him. If you read that text before, they were, they were upset that Jesus was leaving. They didn't want him to go. And I understand that. I mean, he, man, they loved him. But I love what he says. He says, but I have to. Because if I don't go, he says, the one that's coming after me won't come. And you want the one that's coming after me. That's the Holy Spirit. I've got, oh, I don't know, I think 11 different scriptures. Miss Deb, did you put all those scriptures on there? You didn't. Good for you. I'm so glad. I was going to feel really bad that you did all that because I didn't <laughs> intend for that. But if you've got a pen, I want you to jot these down. And I want you to look at it because what happened was is in this thing when people began to come and people began to be built and people began to be added into this thing called the church that met in a bunch of different places and homes and wherever they could and eventually that from persecution they would meet in the catacombs and in the graveyard as, as we would know it. And But when Jesus left, the Spirit came and the Spirit, I'm going to give you 11 things. These are not even my points this morning, but these are 11 things that when Jesus left, that the Spirit came and brought us. And the first one is that in John chapter 14 and verse 26. In John 14 and verse 26, the Bible tells us that the Spirit would teach us all things. Am I the only one that's ever felt like you didn't know anything? Anybody? A couple of these guys. Y'all have finals yet? How'd it go? We'll pray for you. Okay, and uh, we're going to pray for we'll pray for how those grades come out, but... I can remember in high school sitting down to a test and you read two or three questions and you're like, was I even in this class? <laughs> Do, I, this information doesn't look like I'm supposed to be here. Y'all identify with me. I feel that way sometimes when I read the Bible. Do y'all? I mean, you read something and you're like, what did he just say? 
How in the world does that have anything to do with me? And the Bible says, I got them up there? Okay, good deal. All right. I wasn't, the one back there wasn't working, wasn't sure what y'all were seeing. All right. And so in John chapter 14 and verse 26, we have this promise that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. You can go look that up. You jot that down. John 14, 26. The Spirit will come teach us all things. In John 16, 7 and 8, he convicts us of sin. If Jesus didn't send, didn't bring the Spirit back after he left, how would we know? How would we be convicted of sin? But it's that Spirit that comes to us and tells us that we have sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says that the Spirit of God actually indwells the believer. Now, Somebody who's not been in church might see that and go, that's kind of creepy and weird. And I guess if you've not been around church, that might be a little creepy and a little weird. But Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was here. And the, at, at Pentecost, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, we see that the rest of them were filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And the Bible says that that brought power. And that brought something special. That's why I always tell you, you're not just caught up in some place that we come in Fruitvale, Texas, just to meet and fellowship while that's fantastic and wonderful and a great part of what we do as a church that's not all there is to the church do you understand what i'm getting at there's way more to it because the spirit will then teach you and empower you and indwell you in first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11 the, the scriptures say that he knows all things even the deep things of god the bible says that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts have you ever looked at something in nature or see something happen in the world and you think, let's just be honest. Can y'all be honest with me for a minute? Have you ever thought, God, why are you doing this? Right. Y'all ever figured that out? Have you ever had a circumstance in your own life and you're like, Lord, why, are we, why, am I do, why am I going through this? I've been faithful. I've done what I thought was right. Why am I going through this dark valley? Or maybe you've had a real season of blessing and you thought, Lord, I don't deserve this. Why are you giving this to me? Well, there's deep things of God that we cannot know. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the Bible says that when, we are pray when we're praying and don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf in ways and groanings that we cannot utter because he lives in us. So if you've lived long enough, and I look around, I'm, 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 let me do a scan here. Y'all, maybe... The rest of us around the room for sure. Y'all had days where you didn't know what to pray. Um, and I can tell you, at, we, we, in my mind, I think if you've lived long enough, you've experienced that. But I've been, in, I've been a foster parent long enough to know as well. Um, we've had five-year-olds in our home that had a life that was so hard, they didn't know how to pray either. We had a little boy one time, he was five years old, and he came to us, and he curled up in bed, and we'd pray over our kids every night, and, and after about two weeks, I'd tuck him into bed, and he's a sweet little guy, and I'd tuck him into bed, and he'd look up at me, and, I, and he'd smile, and I'd pray, and about two weeks in, he finally, he stopped me, he put his hand on my mouth like this, and I said, what's the matter, buddy, and he said, can I say what you say, and I said, yeah, you can say what I say, and so I'd pray, and then he'd pray, and about another week or so of that went on. And I said, buddy, you want me to pray? And he said, no, I can do it. And he, star he started praying. He had no idea what to pray. But the Spirit knew what to pray. And the Spirit would intercede for him and begin to give him healing. 
In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that the Spirit brings us all power. In John 16, it guides us to all truth. In 1 Corinthians 12, it gives spiritual gifts to believers. Do you realize you've got spiritual gifts from God? It's Christmas time and everybody's talking about what am I going to get you for Christmas? Well, I want to tell you that God already gave you something for Christmas. He gave you the Holy Spirit of God and then he equipped you supernaturally to do stuff for the kingdom of God with the skills and the things that he built into you to do. Somebody said, you know, raise your hand, let's just see how Baptist we are. If you've ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory. I see a few of y'all have. Every Baptist church in the world just about does that about once every quarter or so. And it seems like. And they've got a list. You know, do you have the gift of mercy? Do you have the gift of administration? Do you have the gift of this? And there's a 10 or 11 standard ones. And you'll find kind of those in Scripture. But I want to invite your attention also back to the Old Testament when they built the temple. Did you notice in that script, when they talk, and I won't take you out there, but when they had to have brick masons, the Bible says that the Spirit of God, God gave them special talent to lay brick, that they needed wood crafters and woodmen to come build the gates and the doors. You know what? The Bible says that God gave them special gifts. And so whatever God has equipped you to do, those passionate things that you do, that might not be your quote-unquote spiritual gift of grace or mercy or whatever, but it just may be that empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, what you think is just a skill that you learned can actually be used as a gift in the body of Christ to help the church. Amen. One of the things that I was telling them this morning, my, my brother Tim is not with me this morning, so I was kind of a one-man band on the tech table today, and uh, boy, I miss him. I miss him a lot because he's got some gifts and he uses them to help and serve the kingdom of God. And that's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do and, and brings you. We got people. Man, by the way, the worship team today hit it out of the park. You guys are unbelievable. And uh, uh, that's a gift. And they use it to serve the church. Here's my question to you. What's your gift? What gift has God given you that you want to give back to the church? Maybe it's a gift of leadership. And I don't just mean monetary gifts. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking how has God uniquely wired you to serve the church, to serve the body of Christ? It may be that you have an outlet right here. It may be that you can do it at your work, at your school. What has God gifted you to do? In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says it's an earnest money. It's like it's a, it's a seal for believers, the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, that it gives eternal life. In Galatians 5, that it sanctifies us and uh, allows the production of fruit. I, I spent way too much time on that. But the whole point behind that is when Jesus came and he left and he left the Spirit with us, it was during the time when the Spirit began to work and move in a way that was new. Y'all remember the story of Samson? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Let's just nod with me if you're with me. In college, they used to have this phrase called Elmo, enough, let's move on. So if everybody's with me on Samson, I'm going to move on. Give me this or give me this. Yeah. All right, we're in good shape. One of the saddest things that I read in the story of Samson was after he had done his deal and he had told his secret and she cut his hair. There's a thing that and I love in the old King James because it says, he wist not. I'm not sure what wist means, but I think it means he knew not. He didn't realize that the Spirit of God had departed. He got up, as is, and he says, as before. And he went out to do all the stuff that he'd already done before, and he couldn't do it because the Spirit of God had departed. 
Well, in this church age that we're talking about, after Jesus has gone, the Spirit's come, and Pentecost had come, and the Spirit, now everybody, because back in the old days, in Elijah and Elisha, and back in the old times, the Spirit seemed to come and to move on people at, at individual times. And he would empower for this and empower for that. And in Samson's case, when he messed up, the Spirit was withdrawn. Well, that's a sad time. But for you and I, we are indwelt daily, every day, every hour, every minute by the Holy Spirit of God, leaving us with no excuse but to operate in that power. So that's what was happening. Because you remember at the cross, what's my time look like? Okay. You remember at the cross, y'all ever turned a light on in a dark room that had roaches in it? Not in your house, of course, but in somebody else's place, right? You turn the light on. What do roaches do when you turn the light on? They scatter and hide, right? That's what the disciples did at the cross. They scattered like roaches and they hid and they didn't want to have anything to do with anybody except we know that Mary was there. She stuck with him. We know that John was there with her because Jesus talked to him. But you got Peter hiding around the fire. Cursing Jesus. Cursing people. Oh, but just a little bit of time later, they scattered like roaches at the cross. But in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden, these cowardly men, these men that ran, these men that were afraid for their lives, these men that didn't know what to do, were emboldened with a power that they never got over. And they began to do things and to go out. And all of a sudden, the number of believers said, what does this have to do with the church? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're there. The number of believers began to exponentially grow. And somebody had to ask the question, what do we do with all these people? How do we continue? If you've ever served in leadership and had a bunch of people grow and maybe a bunch of people come in, I, I, I look at the deacons around, it's a burden to, what do we do with all these people? And you'll find out in Acts that they had widows that needed food and weren't getting it. And so you got to solve all those problems. And so as the assembly of the church began to explode and believers began to be added, this is what we know as the church. Not a church, the church. I actually like to use the phrase the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, because it seems more inclusive. Because we're good at saying our church, which is wonderful. But the church manifests itself in local churches. But guys, we're all in this together. We're all on the same team as we worship Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did Paul say? I preach nothing but Jesus and him crucified. If you, you read the, the letters of Paul, and outside of the ones where he was correcting behavior, that cat had one sermon. Jesus bled, died, and crucified, rose from the dead, and you need to repent and find him. Other than correcting behavior, that was on, on repeat to the unsaved and the saved alike. And so in the church, that's, that's what we're doing. There's two requirements for being a member of the church. Y'all know what they are? Somebody, I, never mind, I won't trick you. It's, it's kind of a trick question. I won't do that to y'all. Because somebody will shout something out and it won't be right and you'll feel bad. <laughs> You got to be saved. I had a guy. I'll tell that story in a minute. What does it mean to be saved? I tell people this all the time. I like to use, 
the scriptures use the word to be saved. But you can't be saved unless you're lost. You can't be saved unless you need to be saved. Amen. And I like to say it like this. I like to talk about being a follower of Jesus. Because being a follower of Jesus means something. It doesn't just mean that you came and checked off your I showed up today check card. It doesn't mean that I logged into the Facebook group today. So that's, that was, I'm, I, that's it. Being a follower of Jesus means we act and do and behave like he acts, acted, did, and behaved. That we love the things that he loves. That we break over the things that he broke for. That's what it means. And then, according to Acts chapter 10 that we've been studying, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit into our lives is a mark of being a part of the church. That's why when you get into a conversation with somebody who is a real follower of Christ, there's just something y'all have in common that you might not can explain. It's called the Spirit of God bearing witness between you two that they are also saved. And you can know that they can be trusted. You say, how do you, well, what are, how do you be sure? Well, not, you're not always. You've got to test that. Thing. That's a whole other sermon. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. I don't know if I have this one or not. Do I have this? I do. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, and I read this last week, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free or Democrats or Republicans. Oh, wait, did I put that? <laughs> I know where I'm at, but y'all hear me this morning. Hear me. We are baptized into one body. And where we might have differences on this earth, let us not divide the church over things that Jesus died to erase. Okay? That's so important going into the times that we're going in. We're going to need each other. How many of you raise your hand if you fell on some hard times over the last month and needed some help with some things? I know I did when I was in quarantine. And I couldn't do the, you know, we have a 13-year-old special needs daughter and she takes a lot of work. I ain't going to lie. And my wife was working overtime taking care because I couldn't do it. I had to stay out in my little spot and stay away from everybody. And she was tired. And, boy, I told her, I said, well, when I'm out of quarantine, you're off duty. And she took me up on that, too. <laughs> Man, I got off quarantine, and she couldn't find her with radar. And, uh, but uh, in the church, guys, we have to get this in our minds. Jesus, we're going to celebrate his birth, but he came for a reason. We'll talk about this next week. He didn't just come so that we could give gifts to each other. He didn't just come to get together with family. He didn't just come to create a holiday. He came with one purpose in mind, and that was to lay his life down for you. Amen. He came with the purpose to lay his life down for me and to build this thing that we call the church. I've got to get done. As we see in the scriptures, and, and we're studying Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, as the church began to grow, the people in, say, Thessalonica began to congregate, and they called that the church at Thessalonica. The people in Galatia began to congregate, and they called that the church in Galatia. But then we had a problem. If y'all been studying with us on Wednesday nights um, in Acts, we found in Acts chapter 10 that the, man, they had a problem. Because all of a sudden, Gentiles got the Holy Spirit, and they didn't know what to do. It was like dancing in a Baptist church. They didn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> they had to have a meeting. Had to figure out what they were going to do. And then uh, as that began to, to grow, they began to finally said, all right, I guess, I guess they're going to be saved too. And they're going to get the Holy Spirit. 
But the interesting thing was, and here's kind of where we're going to get into the next place that we're going. As the church began to grow and Gentiles began to be brought in, there was an interesting thing that happened because the Jews knew all the stories. Have y'all ever, okay, let me give you this story right quick. Raise your hand if you've been in church your whole life. Raise your hand if you have not been in church your whole life. All right, bless you all. You know what's interesting is those of us who were basically born in the fellowship hall, and we, we forget that not everybody knows the stories, right? Right? I did a, a, a youth camp one time. My wife was pregnant with our first child. She was about eight and a half, almost nine months pregnant. And we did a youth camp out in West Texas for kids in the uh, juvenile justice system. And they were given six months off their sentence if they'd go to this three-day camp. You think they said no? Yeah, they said, what a deal. And a, uh, there was a couple that, that ran the camp named Iris and Dwayne Blue. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. They actually live here in East Texas. And she used to be, she owned three, um, we'll call them adult entertainment facilities. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, she got saved and locked the doors, walked away from them. She met this dude that couldn't read that lived in a 1972 international school bus and made a shower out of a 55-gallon drum in the back of it. He had a beard down to his knees and rode a tricycle, a Harley tricycle, with two German shepherds that sat on each back wheel. I'm not making it up. <laughs> and they ran this camp. They both got saved. And we were, there was two things that changed my ministry. Uh, they didn't like me. I was young, but I was the guy. I was in charge of about 20 young men in this dorm room, and they were. I was in about 20 years old, maybe 19. Married, first baby on the way, and uh, I just taken my first church and uh, green as a gourd, and didn't really know anything. But I was in charge of these young men, and I remember walking up to the to the building. And I knew something. Y'all ever just know something's not right? Sometimes you, for you guys, it's like geometry. You know, you just know it's not right. It's not going to be good. And I had a little birdie had told me that they was fixing to jump me when I got in the room. And so they was doing some construction. And I weighed, I was soaking wet. I weighed about a buck oh five, buck ten. Yeah, I've, I've gained a couple of pounds since then. But uh, I picked up a two before and I just walked in. I had about a four-foot, two-by-four, and they were all standing up on the bunks with shoes and rocks in their pillowcases. And I was scared to death. And I said, all right, boys, if this is the way it's going to go, who's going first? Because I ain't the only one going to get carried out. And they just looked at me, and in my spirit, I was saying, Lord, you got to help me. I'm fixing to go down. I want to talk big, but I'm going down, and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> they just stopped. They just put their stuff down and got down. I literally, like, there was not even like this big story to tell. It just quit. I just walked back outside, and they went about doing their business. It was the weirdest, most anticlimactic God event I've ever been involved in. But I didn't die, so that was good. <laughs> but that night, this story number two, I get up in the middle of the night. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And there was a, you know how they do at church camps, they'll have a bunkhouse over here and a bunkhouse in, there, in the middle will be a bathroom or a common area. Well, the light was on in the common area, and I thought, great, somebody's in there smoking weed. So I go bust in, what are you doing? And there was a little dude in there, he was about 15, and he was reading this Bible we gave him. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I got a question. And I said, I'm up, what's your question? <laughs> and he said, if God... Is the son of, or Jesus is the son of God and God's his father and I said yeah he said who's Mrs. God 
I, I, I stood there forever trying to figure out how to answer that question because I didn't have the words, the tools to tell him, and he didn't have the background. But I found out at the end of that weekend he did have the Holy Spirit. And that dude kept studying, and that dude has grown, and that dude is doing well because the Holy Spirit can fill in his gaps. And that's what Jesus came and died for. And I'm not even going to get close because I've got to get wrapped up here. But as people begin to be coming in, these Gentiles are just kind of like that little boy. That's why I told you that story. They don't know the background. They didn't know the story. They didn't know all the history. So as they began to do stuff, guess what? They started doing it wrong. Uh-oh. Anybody? Yeah, don't answer. I was going to ask you, y'all ever done something in church and gotten corrected? Don't answer that question out loud. Just poke your wife or your husband or something like that. I'll never forget when I was a kid in, uh, in, in Athens, Texas, at Central Baptist Church, they interrupted, uh, uh, the preacher's wife interrupted choir practice one day because all the deacons boys, me and my brothers included, were up on the roof of the church. And uh, she had pinned us up there and wouldn't let us down until our daddies got outside. That was a rough day. Uh, but they started doing it wrong. So what happened is, is they started doing their stuff and doing their thing. That's how we got the different systems that we have. Different denominations, different ways. If y'all ever been to, if y'all have ever been to more than one Baptist church, I realize everybody does it different, don't they? Y'all right? Yeah. And don't change it. Lord help us. Don't change it, because and the older I get, you know what? The more I appreciate the old traditions too. When I was a young minister, I used to really get aggravated with the. Can I just? I'm just gonna be. I I get aggravated with the blue hairs. I'd be like, why y'all get so cranky about stuff? Well, when I lost my hair and got older. I started realizing, you know what? I don't like it when people change stuff either. I realized when I was there the first time I walked into Higginbotham, which is still Ace Burns Brothers Hardware to me in Canton, Texas, and they moved my nails. I had a physical reaction. I kid you not. I was mad. I mean, my face turned red. I was mad. They moved my nails. I went and talked to the manager. I'm not making that up. That's not a sermon illustration. I went and talked to the manager. I said, why did you move the nails? They've been there since Noah was a minna. What did you do? What are you doing? I said, We're, we've tolerated your new building. We've done, what? And basically, he just looked at me. And was, he was faced with saying, what? <laughs> but as the church began to grow, we had all of these things that had to be done. I'm going to jump down here. But what happened was, is this group and that group and this group and that group, and they began to kind of splinter off. And that began to cause problems. So why are you doing a, a sermon series on the church coming up to Christmas? Because Jesus died to bring unity. Come on. These, Jesus did not, he, 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 he says he came to bring division between us and the world, but he came to bring unity between you and me. John 17 is still in the book. And the Bible says that it's how they, while we, the way we get along and the way we show love for one another is how the world will know, not that we're Christians. That's what a lot of people think, that we have to love each other so the world will know that we're Christians. While that's true, the purpose of us getting along with one another is so they'll know he was sent from God. Because them knowing that we follow him won't necessarily save them, but knowing that he came from them, that can save their soul. And that's what we need them to know. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, the Bible says there is no Jew or Greek, 
slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I wrote in my notes. That is not speaking to all this gender identification business we've got. What he's saying is, is, is that men can be saved. Women can be saved. Jews can be saved. Greeks can be saved. Lord help us, Democrats and Republicans can both be saved. Even independents can be saved. Different denominations can be saved, sometimes in spite of their beliefs even. Some of the bet, some, I asked somebody one time, they said uh, about that, and they said, do you want to make the argument that Mother Teresa doesn't know who Jesus is in spite of her doctrine? I said, I don't know, I'm not a judge of her soul, but I know this, that she lived her life in such a way that if we would do what she did, people would know that Jesus was real. Come on. Jesus desires that we have something called unity. And as things in this church began to expand and began to grow and these issues began to arise, they had a need. Now, not next week, but the next time that we're together, Lord willing, if we, if we get to do that, we're going to actually sit down, we're going to break this text down, and we're going to look at, so what do we do when the church begins to have factions like this? What, why, why do we have deacons? Why do we have pastors and teachers? Because the Bible lines it out for us real easy. What you do when this thing begins to grow and spread out and the spirit begins to move and people begin to do, the Bible tells us how to deal with things, and we're going to talk about that. But next week, next week we're going to talk about Christmas through the eyes of Calvary. And I want to leave you with this this morning. My time is up. Jesus did not die. Bear with me while I say this because I want to be real clear. Jesus didn't die only for First Baptist Church of Fruitvale, Texas. But I believe his character is so deep he would have if we were all there was, right? He didn't just die for one, but he would have if one was all that needed it. But at the same time, there's a vast kingdom out there. And I want you to do, as you're going on your day, you know, the Bible says in Matthew 28, as you go, make disciples. We like to have programs in our churches. I'll be the first one. I love to, I like programs. I like things with order in them. I like, I like curriculum and I like books to follow. But it, the older I get, the more I realize the Holy Spirit hardly ever seems to want to work that way in my life. <laughs> so I want to challenge you. Find the kingdom at work. I want you guys to find the kingdom at school. Where do you see the kingdom living out? In the daily things that you do the people that you meet, the places that you go. Because Jesus died for all of it. Then I want to challenge us one other thing going into this Christmas season. The year's ending. It's not just about Christmas. We got a lot, we got a lot going on in our world right now. I mean a lot. I want you right now in your mind's eye to think of the person or group that you can't stand the most. I know, I know. Don't say it out loud. Ladies, that doesn't mean your husband. I want you to think in your mind's eye, who is it that irritates me the most, makes me the maddest? And I want you to remember, Jesus died 
forever last one of them. And he loves them more than we can possibly fathom. And he loves them hmm, as much as he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. As they come up to sing for us, Father, one more time, I pray that you'd fill our hearts and as they sing, Father, about this blessing. I pray, Father, that you would give us your blessing, that you would teach us this Christmas season that it's not just about gifts and family, though they are wonderful and we celebrate them to remember you. Help us, Father, to remember that you came for a purpose and a reason, and that was to redeem us so we could be a part of something, something bigger than us, something bigger than all of us together. Father, you did something so special that night that you were born. You started some things in motion that still haven't stopped. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are because you are good and you are holy and you are righteous. Father, you are other than, you are different than us, and you are altogether lovely and wonderful. And we just want to lift your name in praise to you today. I want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you gave us when Jesus walked off this earth. I want to thank you for the witness and the power that you give us in the Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do. You've not called us to do anything that you haven't told us that you give us power for. And I pray that you would, in this place, Father, that you would fill us with that power that we can be who you've called us to be. Inhabit our praise today, Father, as we sing in Jesus' name.